Good morning, everyone. Best thing about speaking, no mask. I tell you, if there is a a symbol of human frailty right now, it's that mask. And it reminds us of how how brief life can be and how you know how easily it can be taken away. Uh, this virus that started about a year ago has uh, really kind of torn things up, so it's, it's, it's made it quite difficult. But um, welcome, everybody. Um, appreciate having everybody here that is here in the chapel, those that are doing Zoom, and even those that would be listening on a podcast maybe at some point in time. So thanks for, uh, thanks for being here. This, uh, this virus I mentioned, it's destroyed lives, it's destroyed jobs, uh, communities, economies, everything over, over the last year. We, who would have ever thought that something like this could happen, but nonetheless it did. And even in spite of all of that, um, the other day, you know, the temperatures were warm. Uh, yesterday, uh, Aspen was out riding her bicycle we have crocuses popping up. It makes me think of, of Easter. And with Easter, we remember the Lord's resurrection. And so we anxiously await that celebration. We look forward to it. It's, um, it is a, a great time, and it's a good opportunity to remember the Lord and what he's done. But, you know, without the resurrection, when Jesus conquered sin and death and hell, uh, we have no hope of being resurrected with him eternally. But we know this, we expect it, and we should be keeping ourselves busy waiting for the Lord as he returns in his glorious appearing. Now, the, uh, the passage that we're looking at today, uh, we think about the Thessalonian church. They were expecting the Lord. They were expecting him to return. And they thought it could be any day, but but I think if you would have taken a poll, if uh, Barna was around back then, he could have taken a poll. And it probably would have said they expected it not only in their lifetime, but any day. But then imagine if you're one of the people, maybe you've had a friend or family member that was a believer in the Lord and they had died. Now there's maybe some misunderstanding, maybe there's false teaching that has infiltrated your thinking. And we can be thankful that we have God's word and it provides us with a detailed account, a detailed way of looking at the Lord's return. And as a result of that, we should be filled with joy and hope. But for these folks, there was, there was a problem. There was, uh, there was concern. Um, but the reason that we have that, that hope it's because of our Lord's personal resurrection from the dead. And because he died and because he rose, he's coming back for us. But we also have his word, and his word is true. It's perfect, can be trusted, it can withstand scrutiny. We know it. I mean, we, we have that. We have that blessing. Today, as we're going to be looking through this um, book in First Thessalonians in chapter 4, uh, specifically, uh, 
verses 13 to 18, we're going to be finishing up the chapter. Uh, Brother Mike Merritt did uh, the first part of the book last week. But uh, it's a fairly short passage, very common. Uh, it's, it's fairly well known in Christendom. But, um, you know, we're talking about the Lord coming back, and not just coming back, but he's coming back to gather his people. And we refer to this as the rapture. Now, I don't know, I don't think anybody can find in their Bible the word rapture. It's not there. But the meaning of the word is implied through that. And our Greek and Latin scholars, I know there's a bunch of you out there. So be easy, okay? Be easy on me. The word... (laughs) The word rapture is taken from a Latin word, rapio. Is that close enough? Uh, yeah, it's close enough. It means to snatch away. Or, yeah, <laughs> thanks, John. <laughs> it's, uh, it means uh, to snatch away or to carry off. And specifically, Paul is looking at the concerns that the local church has about what happens when they're deceased, uh, with their deceased family members, when the Lord returns uh, to gather the church you know, Paul talks about, uh, he uses a word for believers that have, um, have gone to the grave, and he talks about them being asleep or having fallen asleep, and it's, it's just a, it's a euphemism for death. And, you know, Paul says this, this sleep, it, it, it's not final. It, that's not the end. It is temporary. And this sleep or death that he's talking about only refers to the physical body. Because scripture tells us that when we are separate from the body, we're present with the Lord. For those who know Christ is their Savior, we go into the Lord's presence. For those who don't know the Lord, there is a different place, a place uh, of eternal separation. And as we get ready to, to look into this passage, let's go ahead and just open in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this chance to uh, open your word and to look at it. Lord, there's uh, um, a a great section of scripture here, Lord, that we have the opportunity to look at today and to hear about what does happen, what happens uh, when the Lord comes back. How does that uh, play out and what promises do you have for us in scripture, Lord? I would just ask you to, uh, to give me the right words, Lord. Uh, help me to uh, communicate as uh, as others need to hear it, and Lord, that you will bless it uh, this time that we have together. And Father, we just uh, ask your care for uh, those that will be traveling back and forth again uh, to go home uh, from the chapel here later today and uh, for the week that we have ahead, Father. Again, we, we thank you that we can trust in your word. We thank you for the hope that we can have in it as well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. We'll go to the end of the chapter, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. It says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, but those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You know, for perspective, let's just consider a couple points that are leading up to this passage as, as we're, we're getting towards the end of the chapter. You know, Paul has written this letter to the Thessalonian church from the city of Corinth. Uh, the people in Thessalonica or in the Thessalonian church were, were young uh, in their, their Christian belief and in their walk with the Lord. And uh, this was written about 51 A.D., so... It's one of the earlier, um, uh, earlier books written in the New Testament, and we can see that as you go through the study uh, of the book, Paul has given assurance to the believers about his love for them to the point of actually sending Timothy back to them. Paul had been, he left, knew there was a concern, he sent Timothy back, he, Timothy did some follow-up, and now Paul is reiterating some of the concerns. Uh, he's going to address some of those that they've had. But we also see Paul has praised them for their faithfulness. And it's their faithfulness in following the Lord during some difficult times because some of these, uh, these new Christians were being persecuted. They were being given a difficult time to, uh, to live in society uh, because of their belief in following Christ. But these uh, same believers were also concerned, you know, that they, they had, they, they were unsure about how this, uh, this rapture or this uh, being caught up, how was this going to look when the Lord returned? Well, Paul wanted to remind them also. He wanted to remind them about the real hope um, that was in Jesus. And he didn't want them being anxious over their concerns about the resurrection. How, how was this going to play out? And you see, most of these people in this area had come from a pagan culture. And they, they had no hope of life beyond the grave. I said, well, you die and that's it. It's over. There's nothing else after death. And the more enlightened Greek and Roman citizens in the area and the time, well, the way that they looked at it is they were a whole lot less likely to believe in anything of life after death. They thought, we're the intelligent, we're the intelligentsia, and so as a result, we don't believe that stuff. And Paul was a good preacher, though. He wanted to address the concerns of the people. He wasn't going to just leave them hanging. So Paul writes this letter to give them comfort. He didn't want them being perplexed and wondering. You know, we, we think of the idea of being anxious for nothing. Well, this is quite something that... Paul wanted to address. He didn't want them being anxious about this. You know, and we often hear as we go through uh, and we read Scripture, especially in the New Testament, we think that we've, we're given the gospel, we're given the good news. And, you know, this is not just, this passage I don't think is just good news. It is, but I think it's the best news. I think it's the best news that any believer could want to hear. And I think it's also... Very good news for an unbeliever because we're still here. We're still preaching. It's, you know, a time of grace that we live in. So it, it is a wonderful passage of Scripture 
for everyone to hear, I think. And when we, when we look at this today, uh, there's not time, and we're not going to get into it. I'm certain there's going to be uh, messages in, uh, in, in the future about these things. But, you know, we're not going to talk about the thousand-year reign of the Lord, not the millennium. We're not going to talk about that, not going to get into trying to decide whether or not the rapture is going to occur, you know, before the tribulation period and great tribulation uh, in the middle of it or at the end. I mean, there's, there's people that, that believe, uh, even in Christendom, uh, there's people that believe that we as believers will have to go through the rapture. Um, I don't necessarily uh, think that's correct, but these poor people, you know, they want to know when. They want to know what's going to happen. When is it going to happen? How is it going to affect their loved ones? Um, they, they had a, a great concern. And we know that part of their concern came out of a, an issue where there was some false teaching that was going on. It's actually mentioned in Second Thessalonians in chapter 2. There was apparently a, a letter that was circulating about maybe that some had said, well, that came from Paul. And it said that the rapture had already occurred. And these people were like, wait a minute, the rapture occurred? And we're here? Well, this persecution that we're enduring must be that time, the day of the Lord that they're talking about, the day of the Lord where, where it's not a 24-hour day. That's not what was being spoken of. But when the idea of, you know, that the Lord had returned and maybe these people were, were stuck now, the Lord had come, taken his church, and they had missed out. Well, that, that wasn't true. You know, when, when I think of this, we, uh, we occasionally, uh, sometimes uh, brothers will, will suggest, they'll say, hey, there's a, uh, a title that I've got for you. And I'm not real good with, you know, titles, uh, short or long, but, but I did come up with two here for you. And, and one is, is the three R's of reassurance, reunion, and rescue. And I plagiarized the next one. And it just came, it was a line that was out of one of the books uh, one of our brothers gave me as I was preparing for this message. And it says, God's promises about tomorrow enable us to live a hopeful life today. You know, and and that's, I I think that's very important that as we look at scripture that we are hopeful um, and that we we're informed, we we know what's what's going on uh, and, and what's going to go on. You know, over the last several years, I've been reading some books, and in these books, there uh, it was uh, books about great battles that have occurred. Some of them from the Civil War, Revolutionary War, World War II, and you know, all the way up to to the Middle East. And there's always this this buildup, and there's you know, troops that are put in place and assets that are are uh, put in different uh, regions and areas to get ready for the war. And then there's a plan that's put together. The great minds, the generals all get together and they put this battle plan together and about when it's going to begin and how and all these different things. And then there seems to be a distinct advantage. And sometimes it doesn't always really work out that way. But, but nonetheless, no matter what happens, leading up to this, everybody's got this question. Who wins? Who is going to prevail in this? Well, we're lucky because when we think about the gospel and what the early church had to deal with, we know the end. We know what is going to happen. You know, they weren't absolutely sure. But nonetheless, you know, we know how the, the story ends. We know who prevails. You know, one of the uh, neat experiences that, that I had 
was out at Whitewater Bible Camp a number of years ago. It was one of the last uh, years I think Ruth and I were out there. And Craig Rollinger, who many of you remember, Craig came out and he said, you know, the lesson that I have for the kids at camp this week is going to be on Bible prophecy. And Craig went through Bible prophecy. He went through about 60 uh, uh, events in Bible prophecy, 60 for these kids, 12 years, well, from 8 to 12 years old, okay? So 60 Bible prophetic events that he named, and he accompanied that uh, as, as any good teacher would, and I think Phil Mikeley would agree that, you know, if you put things to music or some motions with things, people remember them a little bit better. But the, the last prophetic event that, uh, that Craig mentioned was he said, in the end, Christ wins. <laughs> now, it was kind of a, I think a candle maybe. We're going to say it was a candle, okay? Um, but that was it. Christ wins. We know that. And if Christ wins, we win. We have something to look forward to. You know, and just because we have this whole Bible sitting in front of us, it doesn't mean that there's not controversy. It doesn't mean that there's not misunderstanding. But Jesus himself, he wanted to make sure that we were comforted. The Lord's own words in John 14 uh, he doesn't want us to be troubled with concerns that might cause some disagreements. He doesn't want us to not feel the assurance that we should. But in verse 3, a very common passage, he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's very definite words. It's, it's not I might show up. It's I will. And I think, you know, when you look at Scripture, man alive, I think it was the, uh, we were doing the old, uh, we, we were doing some of the minor prophets uh, a while back earlier. And I want to say, Mike, uh, did you do Amos? And we were talking about, there, there was a lot of I wills. You know? Carl, yeah, Carl, yeah, yeah. So we had several brothers that were sharing on that. But how many times in Scripture do you see that phrase, I will? I love that. You know, that, uh, that, that we have that. And when we look at the, at the beginning of First Thessalonians in uh, chapter 1, verse 10, you know, God doesn't want us to feel concerned that we may be objects of his wrath because it says Jesus is the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. And, and then later on we see in uh, the same book, First Thessalonians 5 and, and verse 9, we see here, it says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't think that the Lord has in mind that we are going to have to go through the, the time of tribulation. Uh, that's going to be seven long years of very bad things going on. And you know, I think the Lord is telling us, this is not for you. This is going to be for those that are left behind, but it's not going to be for you. You know, several years after Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonian church, he also wrote one to the Corinthian church. It was probably about three and a half, four years later, and he wanted to encourage them along the same lines. And in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-one to 53, Paul says, We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment and in the twinkling of an eye. And at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, 
and we will be or we shall be changed. And some some versions say shall, others say we or we will. But you know, as as Paul begins to address the believers here, he refers to them all as brethren, both men and women alike. He refers to them as brethren, and he's he's kind of imploring them. He says, you know, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are, in, are asleep. And again, I'm going to try my Greek. Um, the Greek word agnoio, I think, means ignorant. And he wasn't suggesting that these believers were were negligent in their learning. It, he wasn't saying that about them. It wasn't uh, some harsh criticism of, of their knowledge. They, they just didn't know. And so, you know, in this case, Paul shows his caring nature by addressing the concern that they have, and he wants to be sure that they have the correct information so that they're not subject to misbelief, misinformation, uh, that sort of thing that could could cause them uh, concern. You see, some of the believers thought that the Lord's return was so imminent that they were even shirking their duties. You know, that's... That's not really good. That that doesn't really model Christianity in a good way because those people were then becoming, you know, they were becoming a burden on other believers. And the grief and the hopelessness experienced by some of these people uh, as a result of their failure to uh, to understand things was really they didn't understand what what they had been taught. And I think if we look at God's word and we don't understand uh, what it says, we need to, you know, to dig a little bit deeper and, and try and figure that out. And I would suggest that as, you know, each one of us for uh, believers, you know, we need to stay connected to God's word. We need to stay connected to his word and we need to understand it. We have the entirety of it and we need to not only do that ourselves, but we need to do that for our children and encourage them to understand what it is that the Bible teaches us. Now, verse 13, as, as Paul started here, that's the first time he uses that word asleep, but he uses it uh, in, in several places. You know, he uses it in, uh, I think, verse 14 and, and 15 as well. But nonetheless, you know, there was times where the Lord Jesus himself used this idea, uh, and we, I'm not going to go into all of them, but a couple that are, are uh, uh, pretty well known are that the the Lord Jesus himself talked about the those who were asleep. And Mark 5:39 Jesus is invited to Jairus's house where he's actually called they they really want him to come because Jairus's daughter is sick. And by the time they finally arrive, Jesus gets there and he's told, "Don't even bother. There's no need to go in. The little girl has died." And Jesus' response is not what they expected. He said, She's not dead. She's sleeping. And then he goes in and proves them. She was only sleeping. It was only temporary. John 11, Jesus speaking to his disciples about Lazarus. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to awaken him. And after that, Jesus calls out in a loud voice. And it does say that. It says he calls in a loud voice. It isn't, he doesn't whisper. He goes to the tomb where Lazarus is, and he calls in a loud voice, and he says, Lazarus, come out. Can you imagine what would have happened if he didn't name Lazarus specifically? There probably would have been a rush, you know. 
you, you know, you, you just can imagine. It's like all these people think, well, he must be talking to me. So the tombs would have emptied, but that's not what happened. Jesus called him specifically by name. When we think about those who are asleep in the Lord and Christ, you know, they have the similar expectation that we who go to bed every night have. We go to bed, we expect to get up. You die in Christ, you expect to wake up. You know, we plan to get up in the morning, and that's the way that, uh, that, that believers should have that same hope, that same bit of encouragement there that, that Paul gives because he says, don't, don't behave like those who don't have any hope. He said, that, that's not what you want to do. You know, they, we don't want to grieve as those who have no hope. And you, you think of that the passage in uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 13, where he says, you know, they said, we are awaiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Every day, you know, we know as believers that we're one day closer to that glorious appearing where the Lord is going to return. And we anticipate that. We look forward to that. And part of that hope is that he could return today. It's not, you know, we're not always saying, well, later on in the future, we have to get past this coronavirus first, and then, then the Lord can return. The Lord could return at any minute. And I guess the, the challenging question for us as believers is, are we living like we believe that the Lord could return at any point in time? Now, we know when, when they talk about uh, those that have fallen asleep, one part of that, as uh, Paul mentioned, is, is the grief. And grief, is a, that is a normal outcome of death. There is, there, there is no death without grief. But what, what's important, I think, that as, as we think about this and, you know, as, as believers, we have to think, how many people do we know that may not know the Lord is their Savior? And if they don't, they could be uh, heading off to a place where there is no hope. But there is. There is hope. And people... You know, we have to assure one another uh, that that we need to share the gospel. And for those who think, gee, I, I don't have any hope of being included in the rapture, well, let me tell you what, there is hope. Because we're here today, so there is hope. And it's not a hope that says, I hope I've worked hard enough to earn God's favor. It's not a hope that says that I hope all the good things I did are, are going to earn me a place in heaven. It's it's a different type of hope. It's the hope that is um, is certain. It's a perfect hope. And it's a hope that comes from a belief that when you surrender your life to the Lord and you follow him daily, then you have something new. You have, you have a faith that, that Christ is who he says he is. He has already secured a place for heaven or in heaven with each one of us in mind, um, if we believe. You know, many years ago, I I always considered myself. I mean, I figured, hey, you know, I'm a I'm a good guy. I'm I'm one of the policemen. I'm a, I'm a good guy who does good things and helps people. And I I used to think early on in my career that 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 was good because I I was. I mean, compared to the people I knew, you know, in the on the bad guys, I was pretty good. But that's not the way God looks at us. God does not look at us as, gee, you're better than him. It's no, you're all sinful. And, and as a result, 
we all have a decision to make about what we're going to do. And, you know, I got to the point where many of us who are sitting here today have done the same thing. And we know we can go back now and we can say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Does that mean that once we, we make that decision to follow the Lord, that we never sin again? No, it absolutely doesn't. What it means is that he is faithful and just to forgive all our sins, all our unrighteousness, even as we go forward and we continue to go back to him daily and say, Lord, man, you know, I'm struggling. I'm struggling today. But when we look at that, there's nothing that we can do when we, when we think about our faith that is anything without the cross. The Lord's life would have been, it was perfect. It was wonderful. He lived the life that nobody else could live. And yet, without the cross, what do we have? That was the place where Jesus paid the debt for our sin so that we didn't have to. And it was the only thing. We, we mentioned this last week in the Lord's Supper. One of the brothers uh, mentioned that the only thing Christ owned was the cross. That's it. That was his. He was alone capable of handling that, and it was his place. He was nailed to that cross. He died. He was buried. He rose again, and he's coming back for us. And the letter that Paul wrote to these, these people they were not a people completely without hope. I mean, they, they, had, they had a measure of hope. They were, they were somewhat confused, though. Now, as we, as we continue on in, in uh, verse 14, we see that, you know, it, it says that since uh, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So we start to see this correlation that Paul is trying to make between those who believe you know, have uh, a belief in the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and also the hope that they have. There should be, as a result of their belief, there should be a hope in the Lord's personal return and his promises. And, and again, if you go through just this short passage of Scripture, you know, from verse 13 to 18, there's five times, I believe, in there where the word will is used, you know, that we will. And then if you take, one other, whereas a, a will not, then there's, there's uh, mentioned six times. And, and I think of this, this idea of, of, um, you know, of this section here, this, this, little, this little verse. And Matthew Henry and his commentary, he said it really well. He said, those who sleep in Christ have retired out of this troublesome world to rest from all the labors and sorrows. And when I think about the idea of, of this, this word or this little phrase that those who sleep in Christ, I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, we have to think that Paul and his letters to the Corinthian church, he addressed this, this thought of, of in Christ. In First uh, Thessalonians 5, or I'm sorry, 1522, he says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ... All shall be made alive. Well, when, you know, so you think of that in Christ idea, you know, that means uh, someone who is saved. It's not for the saved and unsaved alike. It's talking about those who are in Christ, those who are saved. And it, it's because we have our eternal security wrapped up there in Christ. Now, the flip side of that is that if you're not in Christ, 
then that means you're in Adam. And if you're in Adam, then that means that we are bound to take the responsibility for our own sin. Jesus took the responsibility for it. He said, I'll go to the cross, pay the debt. All you have to do is accept and receive the gift. Now, if you don't want to receive the gift, then you will remain in Adam and you will suffer the wrath of God. But when Christ went to the cross, now we can say that we've been transformed from hopeless in a lost state in Adam to being new creations in Christ. As we're, we're told in 2 Corinthians 15, that if anybody is, a, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old's passed away, and behold, the new has come. I like these if-then type statements. And it doesn't specifically say if-then, but it says if anybody is in Christ, you could say then he is a new creation. So, and I think that's a, it's a wonderful invitation. I mean, the, you think of, uh, Kenny mentioned John 3.16 earlier this morning. It says, for God so loved the world. That's an invitation to anyone. And that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. And again, taking the, word, the words, you know, uh, the world and whoever, that leaves the door open for everyone. Now, you know, Paul shares this revelation as he does, and he, he talks about the authority as being a word from the Lord. And there's nothing, I, I, I couldn't find anything that said specifically that this was something that Paul received directly in some teaching from the Lord, or that it was something that maybe the Lord passed on to the disciples and was shared on down the road through up to, uh, uh, to Paul. But nonetheless, he wants to do this to assure believers that are alive that we who are left, we're going to be gathered up. But we're not going to precede those who have died first. So the ones that are already in the grave, the ones who have already fallen asleep, you know, Paul begins to talk about this order. And he says the, the ones that are dead in Christ are going to raise up first. And then he talks about himself as maybe being one of the people that's still going to be alive when the Lord returns because he used the term we. So he, he really wants to, to make sure that we understand that, yeah, this, these are things that are going to happen. And we're not going to precede those who have already fallen asleep you know, Paul said that 2,000 years ago, but the neat thing is we can say it today. You know, 2,000 years later, we can say the exact same thing, that we who are alive will not precede those who have died in Christ. We'll see them depart, and then we will depart. But, you know, it, it's really neat how, you know, these, these believers back then, they were, they were so certain the Lord was going to return just any day now, and you know, we've, we've gone through periods of time where we thought the same thing ourselves. Uh, and, and, you know, there's, there's people who would uh, call themselves modern-day prophets, have, have uh, predicted things that just have not come true uh, at this point. And, you know, I, I think it's interesting that when you look at this, uh, this passage of Scripture, that the dead in Christ rise first. And, and I guess, you know, I never really thought too much about it, but you think, boy, there's... People have been dead for a very long time, and their bodies have turned to dust. Maybe there's people that died in a terrible accident. This isn't, I don't imagine that, that the Lord is going to raise up this 
um, this really, I'll just leave it at a, a frightening or scary sort of scene. I don't think that's what it's going to be at all. Because what's going to raise up is a glorious body. A glorious body that is suitable to be in front of the Lord Jesus. It's not only suitable to be in front of the Lord Jesus, it's also suitable for heaven. So I don't think it's going to be anything that, uh, that would be unpleasant at all. You know, um, I don't know, probably last, well, no, earlier this month, I guess it was, because we're still in February. But uh, one night as Ruth was putting Aspen to bed, uh, she was explaining to her about how we have heavenly bodies that are awaiting us. And that uh, she went on and explained that there's no more pain, there's no more sickness, there's no more death. And as they talked, Aspen got the idea. She understood it. She said, you know what? She, she didn't say, you know what? She doesn't say that. She said, no more meds and no more shot every night. Because she has to get a shot every night. She doesn't like it. You know, I mean, that's, that's right, Aspen. We get new, glorious, heavenly bodies. You know, and I'm not, I'm not really sure why the Lord has chosen the order that he's chosen when he says the dead in Christ rise first and then we who are left. But I think what it does is it gives us who are alive a great chance to see those past believers rise before us and to, uh, to be able to uh, then join them. But just to have the, the joy of seeing that and knowing what's, what's coming next. You know, when the rapture occurs, there is a, I think, going to be this explosion of sound. I don't think that this is going to be a quiet event. Because verse 16 says, that The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. The rapture talks about three parts. There's going to be this, uh, like I said, this explosion of sound, three distinct sounds in the rapture. There's going to be this cry of command, this shout, if you will, uh, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet. And it, it's hard to know. I, I don't anyway. I don't, I don't know if all these sounds are going to be separate individual sounds uh, in some sort of order or if it could happen all at once. I, I, I'm not really sure. But... One of the things that seems to be clear is that this is going to be God's inescapable call to the living and the dead. It's time to go home. You know, I mean, did you ever have that one kid in your neighborhood that would go out and go, hey, you guys, come on, you know, and away you go. It didn't matter what he said. But, you know, in this case, it's the Lord himself. And he's, he's coming and he's calling and he's saying, we're ready to go. You know, and I, I was thinking of this. As I was thinking of this, they said that the cry of command um, was, was kind of the, the thought. The thing that, that I kind of, you know, imagine in my mind, um, I don't know if Sean is in here. And I don't think I see him, no. Okay, so, you know, is this a military leader that's calling his troops to attention or in some preparation for an exercise or mission, something like that. Here you go with the Greek again. Um, Kelusma is the word for shout, which is a command or an arousing cry. 
You know, you look back at John 19.20 or 19.30. It records the Lord's final words on the cross. And he says three words. It is finished. And he concluded his earthly ministry with a triumphant shout. And, and that was, that was triumph. He was talking about victory. It wasn't like, I'm done. I can't take any more. He had finished everything he had started. His ministry was done. And he, was, he died as a man on a cross, but he also died fully as, as God. But when he returns, there's going to be this, this next shout. There's going to be a, a loud cry. There's going to be a triumphant call. Again, in triumph over the cross, he finished his work there. And when he returns, there's going to be another triumphant shout. And, you know, we are going to be the recipients of that. And I, I would imagine that the rest of the world will notice this, but I, I can't actually be certain. And the next part, um, talk about the voice of the archangel. It appears that the archangel in this case is going to be Michael because he's mentioned as Dan in Daniel ten thirteen where it says that Daniel or, or Michael I'm sorry uh, is a messenger of God. He's mentioned also again in Jude nine, and I, I believe that he is the only archangel that's mentioned in the New Testament. And then we have that blast of the trumpet, and. You know, that's something that's familiar that goes all the way back to the early history of Israel. The people in Israel were used to the trumpet, and, and we better get used to the trumpet as well. But that trumpet was used to gather people uh, together. It was used as guidance when they were out. It was used in war and worship and the jubilee and the feast. And it's not the trumpet that's talked about in Revelation. The trumpets that are talked about in Revelation seem to all be talking about the woes that will come on uh, the unbelieving people, uh, not the ones that are talked about in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 14, where it's more of a blessing and it's a long-awaited family reunion that's going to be the result after that, that trumpet. You have the, the cry of the command, you have the archangel, and you have the trumpet. And then it says, we who are left, uh, or we who are alive, who are left will be caught up in the air with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. You know, Paul concludes um, the, the passage here with the certainty uh, for living believers being gathered up to the Lord in the air. And, you know, that's he's talking about in the clouds, in the air. But, you know, it's only after those uh, who have died, whose bodies have suffered corruption, then are raised in incorruption, and the living will be gathered after that. And F.F. F. Bruce put it, he, he said that when he, he thought about that word caught up, he says it, it implies some sort of violent action, if you will, that's for the benefit of the object. And I, I didn't understand that when I first read it, but the example he gave was good. He says, think about Paul when he was in the, uh, the, uh, the in Jerusalem council and the, the chambers there and he had spoken and these rioters, this crowd just was seething with anger and they came after him and suddenly and swiftly Roman soldiers move in, grab him up, take him out and get him to safety. And, and I kind of imagine 
that same sort of thing taking place, but, you know, and, and, uh, in a little bit more genteel way. Everybody remembers Y2K. Yeah, that was the year. I mean, everything was supposed to happen. The year 2000, oh, my goodness, you know, the, the clocks and the calendars and cal- or computers, all these different things, you know, there's disaster looming. Well, that was also the same year. I didn't realize this, but that um, the movie Left Behind came out. Now, that was uh, a movie that was produced out of a book that was uh, written, and it's talking about uh, the rapture and what's to follow. But... Um, you know, when you when you look at one of the scenes on there, there was a there was a particular scene where this uh, airline is flying, I guess, overseas or somewhere. But it it's, uh, appears to be nighttime, and many of the people are sleeping. And then suddenly, one person wakes up and looks, and Frank, Frank, where's Frank? You know, and and there's there's this chaos that begins to develop on the airplane because people realize their loved ones are gone. In the middle of the night, in the middle of a flight, these people have disappeared. The Lord has come back. And, and suddenly, the realization comes to them that, that uh, the Lord was serious, and he did. And so, you know, what we... I, I, you know, and I don't remember them showing this, but I can imagine. I mean, could you, wouldn't it be interesting... They're riding in this airplane, and they're looking out the windows, and all of a sudden they go, there goes Dad. And then they get the little grin on their face and go, we're next. And away they go. And the only thing that's left may be personal belongings. I, I don't know how that's going to look, but it's, you know, Scripture makes it clear. There is an order. You know, the dead in Christ are going to be raised, and then we who are alive, and we're not going to be left behind. And the very last thing Paul wants to do, you know, Paul says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. You know, Paul wants to do this. You know, this passage started off, they're talking about the confusion, the hopelessness, and the grief that comes with death and the uncertainty. And he ends with more understanding. And he ends with encouragement. We should be looking forward to hearing the Lord, to hear the archangel, to hear the trumpet. You know, the Bible tells us, well, think if, we, if, you, if you read the Bible and you're a student of the Bible, you will see the prophetic events that need to take place before the Lord returns. How many are there? None. So they could happen at any time. And so we, we have that to think about. You know, last week we talked about uh, the first part of, of this chapter of verse four or of chapter four, and it talked about holy living and living a sanctified life. And Mike did a uh, had a, a really good message on that. I'd encourage you that if you haven't uh, listened to it, uh, that you should. But you know, so what are we to be doing in the meantime? And maybe it's living that sanctified life that we've been called to. Maybe it's letting others know about the Lord and being busy. You know, unlike some of the believers in the early Thessalonian church that kind of said, hey, Lord's coming back, I'm just going to wait. You know, that's not what we should be doing. We should be serving the Lord in whatever capacity uh, he's, he's asked us to. You know, this, this whole doctrine pertaining to the Lord uh, and his return is for people, you know, to be comforted, to have assurance, and 
hopefully we can all say that we have that personal comfort, that personal assurance, but how does that apply to, to us then? What do we do with, with that comfort and that assurance as believers? And I think what, what we have is, you know, we have to think in terms of we have an opportunity still to tell others about the Lord, and we should be doing that. I was listening to a radio broadcast a couple of weeks ago uh, where a, a, a radio minister was, was talking, and he said, he said, when I was in theology school, we had a homework assignment one day, and he said, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, homework. I hate homework. Go to the mall. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Go to the mall, and I want you to sit down. I want you to sit for 30 minutes in one place, and I just want you to watch people. Okay, that's doable. That's not too hard. But the teacher told him, he said, I want you to look, and I want you to think about every person that walks in front of you. And I want you to think that maybe that person doesn't know the Lord, and they could be headed to an eternity separated from God. And he said, that kind of changed my opinion about what my role is in personal evangelism and sharing my faith with others. And... So I guess the thing is, maybe for us, the words uh, of encouragement are ones that dwell within us, but also ones that we can share with others. And the other side of it is that if you're hearing the message and you've never asked the Lord to be your Savior, then you can make that decision. It doesn't, it doesn't require a whole lot. It just... You know, the Lord asks us, he says, you know, come to and, and repent. You, know, you have to ask the Lord, you have to recognize that you're a sinner and ask for forgiveness and want to have the Lord take over your life. I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to imagine sometimes, but having the Lord in your life gives you purpose each day. The things that you do have purpose. And we also have a great eternal security that we could never get ourselves. We're told in the Bible, and there's always a great kid song, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to take my sin away. We're not capable of doing it ourselves. We can work really hard and be really nice people, and that's, that's great. And in a, in a world that we live in today, we'll probably look pretty good. But it won't be what the Lord has asked us to do. So... If you haven't done that, if you haven't made that decision, would you receive them today? Let's just go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for an opportunity to uh, reflect on your words, to think about uh, your coming, and Lord, what it might look like, and how we can live uh, between now and then. And not only that, uh, Lord, um, just the, the hope that we have, because Lord, that you have promised this in your word and that we can count on it and we look forward, Lord, to seeing you face to face. Thank you again, Lord, for each one that's here today. I ask you, Lord, now to uh, dismiss us uh, with your blessing and your care as we go about the things that we have for the week ahead of us. Thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen.